0: This is the Washington Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. The race to replace outgoing Governor Jay Inslee in next year's election is on. And today we're going to meet one of the Democratic candidates running for his seat. Hillary Franz is Washington's commissioner of public lands. We are so happy to welcome her back to the pod to talk about her campaign. Commissioner Franz, hello. Hello. How are you?
1: I am doing well. Thank you.
0: I am so glad. And, you know, before we get started, uh, we were talking just about how busy uh, your life is right now. And uh, I'll just ask you, this is, of course, you know, many months before the election. We're in 2023, the election's in 2024. But how is the campaign going so far?
1: It's going, I mean, it's going well. Obviously, we are very 13 plus months away and just launched it a few months ago. And, you know, I'm all over the state. I, As many people would say, well, you were always all over the state because you're out managing, uh, you know, 6 million acres of aquatic lands, farmlands, forest lands, commercial, industrial, and even residential lands. And then on top of it, fighting fires. So uh, it is a busy time for us because of fire season, but it's a busy time also with the campaign. But I love it. You know, the people of Washington in every corner are an unbelievable inspiration. They are all about taking care of our natural lands, our waters, And also our communities. Um, So having these conversations on the work that I've done, but also on the work that I'd like to continue to do um, is sort of, is very inspiring. It makes the work I do even more exciting and exhilarating.
0: Well, I love all that. And, you know, just to kind of give people a little bit of a background, you know, as I mentioned, you've been on the show before, but for those who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about your path, your background, how it led to you being our our public lands commissioner.
1: Yeah, so, you know, and, and if you remember, I had a sort of a nine-week race um, to be Commissioner of Public Lands, but, you know, my background is I have uh, been working for over, gosh, 25 plus years in government, local government, and now state government, but nonprofit um organizations as well as in law, and my background was environmental land use law, so I've worked throughout the state in everything from helping address our housing crisis, increasing investments in natural resources, protecting fish and wildlife habitat, and obviously addressing our most significant environmental crisis, which is climate change. So I I came to this work really already understanding the state of Washington, having worked in every corner of the state of Washington on uh, natural resource planning, natural resource protection, and also community development, housing, transportation, and um, economic development, which all of those things are very much about what we need in every corner of the state and what the state needs even more than ever.
0: Yeah, and I certainly want to talk about those things in terms of policy in just a moment. But, I mean, it's very clear that this is, you know, both a professional and a personal passion for you uh, climate. And, you know, I will just say for folks, uh, you know, you're currently serving in your second term. You've been very successful uh, and, and very effective in the job by any standards. Why did you decide then to throw your hat into the ring for governor?
1: Yeah, and it wasn't an easy decision. I'll just say, I mean, I love the people at the Department of Natural Resources. I love the work we're doing. Um, I love um, the success we've had, and we still have a lot more work to do. But really, as I've traveled this state and really traveled to every single corner of the state, from the smallest of towns to the biggest of cities, I've seen this challenges that Washington families are facing, everything from struggling to keep up with stagnant wages, higher costs for housing. Um, Our housing crisis isn't just in Seattle and Spokane. I see it in OMAC. I see it in Okanagan. I see it in Riverside, Republic and Raymond, South Bend and Forks. Um, I see the need for childcare um, and how costly it's gotten and how hard it is to uh, receive. I've seen the overcrowded schools, but also the schools that have leaking roofs and they don't have heat. Um, and it's been going on for too long. And I also see in those communities an economy that's leaving them behind. Um, And as you know, in this work, I'm on the front lines of climate change every single day from the wildfires. We're right now fighting on both East, Central and Western Washington to dying forests, to our agricultural lands. I oversee a million acres of agricultural land that are experiencing the impacts of drought year after year, dust storms. And then our aquatic lands, uh, sea level rise, ocean acidification. Um, And as I've seen all of these challenges, I also know the people of Washington and how much they are ready to step up to these challenges and address them. Um, And I believe based on my experience, both my personal and my professional, that I am most capable of doing that. You know, as a child, I had a very traumatic and rough childhood. I experienced housing security, not knowing always where I was going to lay my head at night, not knowing um, where I was going to be. Um, I've experienced working two jobs as an adult to make ends meet. I've experienced a family member struggling with mental health and I've also then worked in mental health as we see mental health one of our most significant crises in every corner. I've worked with community uh, on the issues of bipolar, schizophrenia, suicide, everything in mental health. Um, I've represented domestic violence victims seeking protection and I've also represented incarcerated individuals seeking a second chance. Um, I've changed the diapers of small children, work with special needs, and I even had to care for my own father at the same time I was caring for my children as my father um, dementia stole his mind and his ability to function at the age of 65. Um, So I have the personal experience. I have the drive of compassion and care to actually deliver on these resources and changing the conditions that our people are living in in every single corner of the state. And a sense that we don't have time to waste, um, that everyone should have a roof over their head. Everyone should know they're going to have a healthy meal at school and at home. Everyone should be able to know that the job they have is going to pay well enough for them, not only take care of themselves, but provide a better opportunity for their kids. Um, And in this work that I've done, in my professional experience, I have literally been on the ground in every single community responding to the natural disasters that we are facing from fires and floods to COVID. I've been on the ground in every community actually growing the economic opportunity, increasing the opportunity for jobs, whether it's in forestry or agriculture, or whether it's in manufacturing or new technologies like biomass and cross laminated timber. Um, I've also been, actually we're now working in housing as we've seen how difficult it is Um, For people to be able to afford housing in Colville and OMAC and Forks, um, where we're hiring, we're now building housing, whether it's on our own land, that's our facilities, or we're building on land that's zoned residential, that isn't making any money for our schools, but should, uh, including right here in downtown Seattle, all the way to Tacoma and Bothell and Bellingham and Walla Walla and Spokane. Um, we have so much opportunity and we do have enormous amount of challenges, but we spend too much time actually in division and divisiveness rather than identifying what we can work together on and then getting to work and working tirelessly to get results. And that's why I'm running for governors. We don't have time to waste and we have enormous amount of opportunity and we should get to work now.
0: Well, you know, you've just laid out the case uh, uh, quite well, uh, and, you know, in terms of your breadth of experience, both personal and professional. Um, and so I, I would love to just kind of dig into some key policy areas, uh, things that certainly are in your background. You, you've touched on, on the climate, and I think this is a logical place, obviously, for us to start. Um, as you know, the, the the country, large parts of the world are now enduring wildfires, floods, uh, record-breaking heat waves. Here in Washington, we had a, a rather surprising heat wave back in May. Um I'll just ask you generally, do you get a sense that enough people are finally waking up to the realities of this climate crisis, enough that it can spur real action at the governmental level?
1: I already, I don't just believe I know. Um, I've actually been in these communities, um, in the communities, actually every corner, and had conversations with our foresters, our farmers. I've had conversation with business leaders, um, East Central and Western Washington, where I don't have to say climate change is here and it's real. They actually are seeing it. They're experiencing it. The farmers who are experiencing how it is getting harder and harder to get greater production off their lands, how there's less water available. How they are seeing dust storms removing that topsoil. I see our foresters are on the ground in our forest where we're seeing, and we have the dying off of forests, not just in Central and Eastern Washington, but it's right here in Western Washington, where disease, insect infestation, drought, are continuing to stress our forests. Uh, I. Communities are seeing it. Okanagan County is a perfect example where they had the worst flood since 1973 when the snowpack melted in Canada so fast it flooded all the communities down along that river and in May. And we had to send our firefighters and our equipment to go and help that community. We don't respond to floods, but we had a moral obligation to be there to help those communities. Um, Obviously, our shellfish growers out on the coast are seeing the impacts of ocean acidification. I think many of these communities, they know that the climate is changing. They know that it's having impacts today. It's not far off in the future, it is right now. And I think what they're needing is people to be able to have a conversation about how do we bring solutions on the ground that will actually help them. One, to make our lands, our waters and communities more resilient to climate change. And two, reduce those greenhouse gas emissions, right? So we've gotta be working on both of those levels and people are ready. They already know the problem and many of them who are managing those lands and waters are already starting to take steps to be able to be more resilient.
0: Well, you know, in terms of uh, government action on this front, Washington uh, passed some key legislation over the last few sessions. There's a Cabin Invest program. There's the the Climate Commitment Act. There's the clean fuel standard. Um, You talk on your website about bringing a sense of urgency to your work as public lands commissioner. So I'll just ask you, do you feel that government is keeping pace here in terms of the climate crisis? Are there ways to spur faster action?
1: So I think absolutely a huge amount of progress has been made in this in Washington state to be a leader nationally on this issue. You just mentioned a number of those policies. And I think right now what we've got to do is make sure that those policies are actually going to be implementing change on the ground. And the two changes, again, I think it's important we talk about what those two changes are. So one is how do we reduce The greenhouse gas emissions that's leading to even greater climate change. Right. And obviously, transportation is our number one greenhouse gas emission in Washington state. So we have got to continue to be investing, investing in transit and bike and ped. We've got to be increasing our investments in clean energy, um, wind, solar, bioenergy, biochar. We got to be increasing our investments in technology around that dispatchable capacity, like our storage, because wind and solar don't don't work when you just flip a switch, right? We've got to be increasing the investments in um, also energy efficiency. Um, now that's on the energy grid, and I will say it is not easy. We've been doing one of the things I've been leading is leading that we're going to actually. Um, have 1000 megawatts of clean energy on our lands um, by 2025, uh, we are already halfway there, the key goal there is wind and solar, but we know it's not so easy right we're having an impact there's fish and wildlife habitat we've got to, we're concerned about there is also the impacts of the community and agriculture so we've got to be sensitive to that. And at the same time we got to be expedient and that's not always easy. Um, in addition to that, we've got to be looking at the second largest greenhouse gas emissions, which is wildfire, right? So the work that we've been doing of keeping 90% of our fires below 10 acres is truly and changing the way we're fighting those fires, but also increasing those investments Work to secure the you know the largest investment ever in Washington State's history, um, a unanimous bill, uh, 500 million over the three um, the next four bienniums. Uh, we also have to be increasing our forest area. As you know, we're the evergreen state, right? We are losing our identity. Whether we're losing our identity to wildfire, dying forests, or the conversion of forests, but our forests are our most essential carbon seed stores, right? So we've got to increase the acreage of forest land. Um, We literally for the last uh, in 2019, um, Washington state, the evergreen state is now less than 50% forested. We've lost 400,000 acres of it to conversion. And we're seeing increasing population, the increasing need for housing. We've got to not have our forest lands, the place that we put those, uh, our homes and our developments. Um, We have also got to be the investments that we're making that are coming from the Climate Commitment Act have to be investing in increasing the acreage of forest land, increasing reforestation, um, increasing our urban forestry. Uh, we set a goal, I just launched it this year, um, to be the first state in the nation to be to have true tree equity in every neighborhood. As we see these heat islands, right, we see huge amount of increase in heat and we're seeing people, it's impacting their health, There, Throughout our state, there are places where there's literally a 13 degree temperature difference between a wealthy white neighborhood and a low income community of color neighborhood. We've said we've got to put a stake in that ground and we've got to make sure every single neighborhood in Washington state has a score of 100 for tree equity. That means they're going to be able to find shade. They're gonna have nature to help cool them. It means we have to plant 13 million trees, literally um, over the next 20 plus years. Um, We also have to be focusing on our submerged forests. Those are our kelp and eelgrass beds. They are the unbelievable stores of carbon. That's on how do we reduce climate change, right? The effects of climate change. We also need to accelerate the work in making our communities, our lands and our waters more resilient to climate, right? It's already here. That means that we've got to be making sure we're reducing these wildfires, restoring the health of our forests. They naturally can fight fires on their own. Um, We just got to make them healthy enough to do it. We've got to be addressing the issue of drought. This is an area we have not made much investments. Um, our agency, we pushed for more investment in this area because of the million acres of agricultural land we manage, and all the farmers that rely um, on, our, on these waters, as well as our fish and wildlife habitat. We're moving for more regenerative agriculture so we won't need as much water and also putting investments in like biochar that can help those soils be more healthy. Um, in addition, I could keep on going, but I think, <laughs> You know, this is like, this is what I get passionate about.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So it's those two planks. The too often we're working on just reducing greenhouse gas emissions. All the while we are struggling in making our lands, waters and communities more resilient. And the beauty of it is when, when we're doing work to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, it actually creates more resiliency in the community. But we have to make sure we're coming at it from both ways. And I I think the other thing I just want to add is too often we think the environment and the economy are at odds with each other, that they don't actually work together. That's a false narrative and it's a false idea. And when we do that, we're actually failing the environment and we're failing the economy. The way I look at this and I think the way communities are looking at this that are on the front lines of climate, they want to know that the resources and investments are going to come to them to make their lands and waters and their community more resilient, that they're not going to be left out as they're facing all of these issues. And they want to be part of the solution so that they can actually help their community get stronger economically as well as environmentally. And some of my favorite examples, can I give you examples of this? Because it's like, this is where we get, lo- you know, we, we think everything's so hard and impossible. But so, as I was telling you, we have, you know, wildfire, catastrophic wildfires, every corner of the state, no one... Um, has the luxury of not having wildfire impact them. And we have just in central and eastern Washington, 1.25 million acres of forest that are dying. Uh, disease, insect infestation, drought, right? And it is leading to these catastrophic wildfires. We developed a forest health plan. Literally the first eight months I was in office, I said, we can't just run from one fire to the next and be reactive. We've got to be proactive and, and actually have our forest join our firefighting teams and, and fight these with us. Um, we developed a plan to restore 1.25 million acres of forest over the next 20 years. That's federal, state, tribal, and private land. By the end of this year, we'll be six years in. We will be halfway to our goal. We will achieve our goal in 10 years so that we can reduce these fires. Now, the beauty of it, when we did that, we sent a message to the, literally to the marketplace that said, that if you want to invest in sustainable wood, like cross laminated timber, mass timber, come to Washington State. And within a year and a half of that plan, two of the largest cross-limited timber mass timber facilities have opened up in Colville and Spokane, creating hundreds of jobs. Now more are coming online in the central part of our state. And what's beautiful is they're taking that wood that would have been burning up in our forests and causing an environmental crisis, and they're now turning it into affordable, sustainable building product. We are now in partnership with... Um, A cross-liminary timber, mass timber facility and developer that will take that and turn it into workforce housing so we can put it on our lands that generates funding for our schools, funding for our counties, but also addresses this housing crisis we have. That's where we're taking environment, social and economic crisis and creating a win across the board.
0: Well, let's do transition into housing because you said that this would be your top issue as governor. Um, Democrats, uh, again, had some key wins on housing in this last legislative session. Uh, I think the hallmark might have been the so-called missing middle housing bill allows for more multi-unit dwellings on single parcel lots. What what else would you like to see happening on housing in terms of your agenda? What sorts of legislation uh, specifically would you want to push?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll first say, you know, I've traveled this entire state and seen how significant the housing crisis is. And it is everywhere, big cities and small towns. Um, and this is a crisis in my mind that is truly makes it very difficult for anyone to be able to do their job well, to be able to get a good education. When Squim has, you know, 20 percent of their students are homeless. How can they even think about, you know, learning when they don't even know where they're going to sleep at night? Um As governor, I will make this my top issue, because I think it is the foundation. One, it's a moral obligation. It's a right that everyone should have to have a safe place to lay their head at night. Um, It is also the foundation of a healthy society, a healthy economy, and a healthy environment. Um, I, the middle housing bill was a great first step. We have to be building more housing. We've got to be building more housing everywhere. Um, I will first of all create an office of housing where their number one priority is to make sure everyone has a home uh, to live. It set as a very big goal and then drive towards outcomes on the ground. Uh, in every single community. Uh, I will also develop a strategic plan that actually says we are going to make sure in the next 20 years 90% of our people are within housing Um, and take a step of making sure housing first that once people are in housing we can start to provide the critical services they need whether it's mental health, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's job training or education Once we have them in homes, we can create a stability for them. Uh, I believe we need to be increasing our upzoning around our major transit centers where where we already have the infrastructure in place, um, making it easier to build. It takes too long right now to get the permits in. It takes too long to get uh, the built environment. It actually built Um, I will also we need to be making more investments in subsidized housing roughly 10% of our housing is subsidized when we know it's just too hard right now for people to get by we've got to provide more investments in the subsidized housing in every corner of the state to make it easier for people.
0: I want to ask you about something very specific. Earlier this month, you worked with Kitsap County on a sale of 27 acres of public land to convert it to public housing. I wonder if you could just briefly tell us about that. And do you see more such projects in, in in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've been saying this for a long time that, too, you know, we have, I oversee three million acres of uplands and... You know, everyone is really focused on just our forest land or agricultural land, but we have thousands of acres that's commercial industrial land, and we have thousands of acres that is residential, including right downtown Seattle and 2nd and Lenora. That property is a perfect example. This property makes $150,000 for your schools every year.
0: Really?
1: It's a surface parking lot. It should be a 25, 30 story building, right? That enables us to have economic development retail on the bottom, right, for jobs, but also residential right there in our job center, our critical job center. Um, Previous commissioners weren't looking at that as, wow, this is an opportunity where we could fund more funding for our schools which desperately need funding and providing critical housing that our community needs right in those sort of urban growth areas. So first I went past the law, I got a law passed that allows us to do 99 year leases before we could only do 50 year lease and as you can imagine, 50 year lease, it's hard for somebody to want to come in and buy a house or, you know, develop land if they don't know they're going to have it 50 years from now because it's an enormous amount of infrastructure. The second thing I did is I identified all of the land we have that is within our urban growth areas in all of Washington state because and is zoned residential. So the Kitsap County is a perfect example. It's zoned high density residential. It's near the Silverdale Mall where you have your transit. You've got your shops. You've got your job centers. You've got your community centers like the YMCA. That's exactly where we should be having housing. In that case, we have three options. One, we can sell the land. We might have a nonprofit organization, a housing authority, um, wants to actually develop that land. They want to own it and they want to build on it. They may want to use it for rental housing, or they might want to use it for the home, being able to sell it at a a rate that people can enter into the marketplace. So we will do transaction. The Kitsap County is an example that where we sold that land. We're looking at another, a number of other lands that we have. The second one is we can lease that land. And we're looking, that's the development I was talking about where we partnered with a cross timber, mass timber company coupled with a green building developer. Um, we would lease the land where they'll take on a lease, 99 years, they're gonna make their lease payment. They build the home on it. They'll sell that home, but by taking the land value out of the equation, it now makes it more affordable for a new homeowner or somebody who doesn't have a lot of resources when they sell it they'll still make some equity on it but it'll still be affordable because the land and what's so beautiful is when they make their lease payment they're funding their kids schools they're funding their fire districts they're funding their libraries right um so we're that's the second the third is we actually have facilities uh, throughout the state where i've got you know our offices i've got our air resources i've got our mechanics i got and we have a lot of land and so we're looking at how do we also turn that land into workforce housing um, for our own employees that are struggling on used to be on a government salary you could buy a house right you could afford to rent a house it's getting harder and harder my father was a government servant you know his entire life and you know in those days you could afford on a government salary it's getting harder now with the jacking up of prices not only in these really dense urban centers like seattle and Tacoma's cumminsburg But far out, like OMAC and Colville, where it used to be $100,000 to buy a home, it's now $500,000. And that happened overnight with COVID. So those are the ways we're working at housing. We want to be part of the solution. And it's actually a benefit when we are. It's a benefit for the environment because now we're not converting forest land and agricultural land to housing. It's also a benefit for the economy because now we're creating more of that stability of the homes there. Um, for people to be able to afford to work there. And the third thing is it's a benefit for society because the funding goes directly back to our schools, our libraries, our fire districts, our government health, human services.
0: Well, it's a great and and really comprehensive approach that that you've laid out. You've also been very vocal on the fight for reproductive rights, uh, especially following the Dobbs ruling. Um, Again, the legislature passed a number of key bills uh, in this session, including the Shield Act. This would prevent prosecution of those who come from other states uh, for abortions. What more do you think should and and can be done to protect reproductive freedom here in Washington, especially now that this is a state issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, let me just say, I want to emphasize that I, as the only woman in this race, I'm the only candidate who actually personally understands this issue and understands how important. It part of that lived experience that we talked about earlier, that experience perspective truly matters. I'm the only one who's ever had my own health care and reproductive rights at stake um, and the only one who's personally depended on safe reproductive care. Um, As governor, passing the Keep Our Care Act will be one of my top priorities in my first session to prevent the unregulated hospital mergers that reduce access to reproductive services and gender affirming care for women in rural areas. And also makes it we have to make sure that we have health care available and affordable. Available and affordable. And when you have these large unregulated hospital mergers, it risks the loss of both of those. Um, And we also need to ensure the full enforcement of our shield laws. It's one thing to pass it, but I will make sure that we are truly enforcing those shield laws to prevent Washington law enforcement from complying with law enforcement in other states like Idaho. We're going to preserve Washington as a beacon of reproductive freedom, not just for women um, in Washington, but for women. In neighboring states too as we're seeing more and more women coming to washington when their rights are being taken away in other states we have got to be that place of home for them um and it you know it'll constantly be the piece that we've got to be investing more to be honest we have to be investing more in healthcare in general right and affordable health care um reproductive rights is one key piece absolutely but i have to say personally you know when the work that I did in mental health was in Alaska, and it was in a community healthcare facility that was in the community. And I was serving some of the most vulnerable mental health people struggling with mental health. Uh, and it was because that facility and the healthcare we provide was available it was accessible and it was affordable that people could go there. We were welcomed by the community. Um, That community knew how important it was to have that. We've got to do that in mental health. We've got to do that in substance abuse. We have to do it in healthcare in general. I, you know, during the 2016 election, um, I came down with an autoimmune disease and it is something that I have been grappling with uh, now since uh, 2016. And I, at the time, was on my own health care insurance um, and was paying around 250 a month. Um, we know that there are many, many more people who are paying far more than that every single month, at the same time trying to afford their rent, try to afford their mortgage, try to afford the food and the cost of food with inflation. When I became the commissioner of public lands, I went to go buy my prescription at the pharmacy and they rang it up and it was $1.73. And I said... I think you entered it wrong. And they said, no, ma'am, you have great health insurance. Just because I'm Commissioner of Public Lands shouldn't mean that I get better, more affordable access to health care. That I, we need to make sure that every person in Washington State has available, affordable health care.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Available and affordable health care for all Washingtonians and also you say available and affordable reproductive health care, passing the Keep Our Care Act, uh, enforcement of existing laws, uh, investing more generally uh, in reproductive health care in the state. You know, uh, former Republican Congressman Dave Reichert is now officially in the race. Uh, He has a record in Congress for voting for anti-choice legislation. I'm just wondering if it comes down to a two-way race, how would you keep this issue front and center?
1: I mean, first, he obviously, Congressman Reichert, has taken extremist anti-abortion positions, including voting to criminalize abortion. I don't believe that is reflective of the people of Washington state. Um, but moreover, I don't believe that is respectful of a woman's right to choose a woman's right to her own health care choices. And this is a fundamental right that he's against. Um And whether it's Riker or any other candidate, I will stand by that I'm the only candidate in this race who actually understands what's at stake at a personal level. And I will fight to make sure that every single person has the ability to have safe, accessible care that doesn't lose their rights. And now more than ever, that experience and that perspective matters. I know what it's like to have to purchase birth control. I know what it's like to have to buy, you know, the morning after pill. I know what it's like to actually have, I had a miscarriage at very young and I was fortunate that I had a local healthcare facility that I could afford at the age of 23 to be able to get the healthcare treatment I needed. I understand it personally, he has no idea of that experience and I will make it front and center that way will stand up for people's rights. We'll stand up for women's rights and I will use my voice and my experience to do that.
0: Well, thank you uh, for all of that. Um, Before I let you go, I do want to ask you, you know, grassroots groups really do uh, demonstrably make the difference in campaigns. They can spur legislation. I'll just ask you, how do you see working with progressive groups like Indivisible, both as a candidate and then potentially as as governor?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'm a big believer that I don't have all the answers. Right. Um, What I believe true leadership looks like is you first Listen, you go out to all those people who are affected by policies, by decisions, by investments, and you learn. You learn about their experience. You learn about what their struggle is. You learn what their ideas are, and then you lead from there. Um, That's what I've done in wildfire. I mean, I'll just give an example. When I came into this agency after the 2014 through 2016 fires, the agency Department of Natural Resources stood for do not respond, do not resuscitate. A million acres had burned, three firefighters lost their lives, an entire town had burned down. You couldn't have a worse brand, and it wasn't because the people of our agency didn't care, right? I went out to every community that had been on the front lines of the fire and asked them what wasn't working. What could we do differently? And to be honest, I have no I had no experience in wildfire before people elected me for this position. My kids would tell you that I couldn't even put out a kitchen fire. But what I did is I cared. I cared about doing the best and making sure that I was saving lives and doing everything possible to save the lives of our firefighters and the lives of our communities. So I listened, I learned, and then I led. On Progressive, every single decision I've ever made, is backed by progressive value. I have progressive values. It's how I work, right? But I need to learn from others who also had different experiences from me about how I can make sure I'm protecting their rights, whether it's healthcare rights, whether it's education, whether it's housing, whether it is climate change and the environment. And so I will go out and listen, I will learn, and then I will lead.
0: Where can people go for more information about your campaign?
1: www.hillaryfrans.com and it's Hillary
0: with one L All right, Commissioner Hillary Friends thank you so much my friend for taking the time today And that'll do it for this week the executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin if you would like to see a video version of this podcast head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast the email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com special thanks to Lori Cowell, and as always my thanks to you for listening I'm Stephan Cox and we'll talk to you next time bye